Good morning. I am Pastor Adam Deal, not to be confused with the other Pastor Deal, the OG, the Jedi to the Padawan, the top dog, the mighty duck. I don't know what else to say. If you haven't had a chance to know our lead pastor, my dad, uh, the real Pastor Deal, the first one, uh, he would love to get to know you today right after the service, just down this hallway on the left. There's a big sign that says, uh, at the after party, and we're going to have an after party right after this. This is the party, but we have an after party. And if you haven't had a chance to get to know him, he would love to get to know you. So please head right down there, hang a left at the sign and um, get to know him. Would you turn in your Bible to John chapter 9? We're in the middle of a series right now called the Book of Signs. A sign is something that is telling us something else. So there's a story in the Bible that happened, but it's a sign that tells us something about Jesus. So it's not just about the story. There's something else going on. Um, before we get into John chapter 9, I'd like to tell you all my own story about a fox. First, let me start with this. There's nothing strange about this cardboard box. The only thing special about it is my wife ordered something from Amazon, I think. Cardboard box. There was a fox one day who lived in his den. He had a front door and he had a back door, much like your house may. And lo and behold, inside was the fox. That fox one day got hungry, and he didn't have any Kroger that he could go to, and he wanted some chicken, but there was no KFC around. So he decided he wanted to go find his own chicken in Farmer Ben's chicken coop. So the fox left and went into the chicken coop. And uh, the fox, once he got there, the chickens, of course, made all kinds of racket. I don't know exactly what it sounded like, but I imagine it was something like, buk, 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 buk. <laughs> and Farmer Ben heard the buk, 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 buk. He grabbed his shotgun and came running out and said, I'm going to get that wascally fox. But the fox saw Farmer Ben coming. And so the fox went running out of uh, the coop and into his den, into the front door. Well, Farmer Ben came running over with that shotgun because he saw the fox run into his house, and he said, I'm going to get that fox. I'm going to open up that front door, and I'm going to catch him. So he opened up the front door, but he wasn't there. So he thought, I'm going to open up the back door, but he wasn't there. He said, oh, you must have gone to the front door again. So he opened up the front door. He says, okay, I'm going I'm to get the back door. But he wasn't there. But at this point, townspeople had gathered around, and, and Farmer Ben decided that he needed to ask the townspeople for help. What door should I open, he asked the townspeople, and they said, both, Bo both doors, okay. So the front door... And the back door. What other ideas do you have, townspeople? At the same time. Both doors at the same time? <laughs> She's funny. 
So you're saying, you're saying you want this, this store? And this store? <laughs> this is called a sucker trick. Guess who the sucker is? <laughs> Things weren't as they seemed. The fox had never left the chicken coop. In the same way, in the book of John, there are stories, and things aren't always as they seem. The stories are fact, they're truthful. It happened. The story we're looking at today in John chapter 9 is a story about how Jesus went to a blind man, and he put mud on the blind man's eyes and told the man to go wash in the pool, and when he washed, he could see. That story happened. That, that's real. But there's more to it than it seems. There's a sign. That story is a sign of what salvation looks like today. And that's what we're going to unpack today. Can I put my coop up? All right, so John chapter 9. Uh, we're going to start in the first two verses and look at uh, point number one. John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. If you're there, say, mm-hmm. Thank you. If you need me to wait a second, say, wait. Okay, John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So imagine this. This man is in total darkness. He's never seen before, ever. He was born that way. Just like we are born into a life of sin. We're born with a sinful nature. Never having seen light. We can't fix it on our own. Just like this man can't. So he's born blind. Any human with an ounce of empathy would see someone like that and say something like, sorry about your luck. Or they'd go to Jesus and say, hey, master, you think you can do your little thing with him? Make him see again? But according to this passage, the disciples didn't do that. They turned the blind man into a spiritual specimen. Hey, Jesus, who sinned that made him that way? Was it him or his parents? <clears throat> Don't do that. When you see spiritual darkness around you, people you work with, people you go to school with that are lost, what they want is to be seen for who they are. They want, they want to be seen. They want health. They don't want people to go, hey, like the disciples did in this passage. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus hardly, um, hardly paid attention to, to that, what the disciples said. The, the, the first verse says, when Jesus was walking, he saw the man. That's point number one. Jesus sees those in darkness. We all have some part of darkness in our lives, don't we? I'll explain that in just a second. Um, so, so the disciples say, who sinned? Was it this man or, or, or his parents? The truth was, it wasn't either of them. It, the, the sin that's at fault is the original sin, the sin of Adam and Eve. That sin started the sinful world we're in. God made things perfect. That's his plan. That's his design. God made things whole. God made things perfect. The opposite of perfect is imperfection, imperfect. So God made things perfect, and then Adam and Eve sinned, and, and because of that, 
That was the moment that sin entered the world because we all come from Adam and Eve. Ever since then, there's been a separation between man and God. That is the reason for all of our suffering. It's because of the original sin. Physical blindness didn't exist in God's perfect world. Uh, I was born with club feet. My, my bones and my feet were curved. That didn't exist in God's perfect world. It's an, it's, it's, it's an imperfect thing that, that God has uh, allowed. Um, all struggles today are a result of the original sin, a sinful world. So does anyone ever have a dark spot? We have darkness. Ever get a backache? A neck ache? Maybe your neck ache is sitting next to you. <laughs> there was no annoying in God's perfect world. All struggles that we have today are a result of this imperfect world that we live in. This, this sinful, uh, sinful world. And so we all have little parts of darkness, little pieces of us that are dark. And Jesus sees us. Jesus sees those in darkness. He made us and he still loves us. Have you ever noticed when you're in darkness, when you're sick, when you're hurt, when you're depressed, when you're anxious, have you ever noticed when you're in a dark place, it's easy to feel alone? It's like, it's like we're ready for people to come along and But that's not how Jesus is. Jesus sees those in darkness. He's able to empathize with us. In fact, Hebrews says it like this. <clears throat> I think it's 4.15, yeah. For we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus gets it. We have a world around us that is hurting. And Jesus gives a hoot even when nobody else does. Or even if it seems like no one else does. He gives a hoot. To the single mom wondering if anyone can love them again. To the one who got a bad report from the doctor and feels abandoned by God. To the one who lost their job and feels hopeless. And to whoever sheds a tear for any reason. Jesus sees you. And he gives a hoot. If I ever have the opportunity, or not the opportunity, but if I ever get called to write a book of the Bible, I'm going to put a verse in there that says, Jesus gives a hoot. Or, I'm sorry, hoots he hath given. That's what I'd say. And we should give a hoot too. Okay, so Jesus saw the man. That's point number one. Jesus saw those in darkness. Uh, let's continue in verse three. The disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, who sinned? Verse three, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. Time out. Jesus just said that this man nor his parents never sinned. That's not what it means. They sinned. They sinned. In the context, you have to in interpret scripture within scripture. In context, Jesus is saying, He's not this way because he or his parents have sinned. That's not why. They sinned, okay? All have sinned except Jesus. Okay, so neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow, so this bad thing happened to this man. This man was born blind so that God could be glorified. 
Does God just see us as like a voodoo doll and he's sticking us with pins? Are we just some experiment of God? No, we're not. We're going to talk about that. But we see here, this, this blindness happened to this man because God's glory was going to be had in it. That's point number two. Jesus has a plan. He has a plan. Jesus has a plan. Consider that. Say that to yourself. Jesus has a plan. Consider that when you are in your struggle, when you are in your pain, when you're in the midst of your garbage. You should ask, what is God up to? What's he trying to do here? Because you know Jesus has a plan. It kind of stinks, but the truth is, God often shows his glory in our struggles and pain. In our pain, God's glorified. Well, Pastor Adam, that's a pretty bold statement. You better have something in the Bible to back that up. Okay. Lazarus died. Lazarus died. Jesus said, this sickness, referring to Lazarus being dead, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Lazarus' death was for God's glory. In the book of Genesis, there was a little boy named Joseph who was unfairly sold into slavery by his big brothers. Years later, he was elevated to a place of king and he reunited with those older brothers of his and he was in a place where he could put them in prison or worse. And Joseph says this, and now do not be distressed. He's talking to his brothers. Don't be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you or it was to save lives that God allowed me to go into the slavery. Wow, like... I'd be ready to punch my big brother if I finally got to be, be back with him if, if he had sold me into slavery. But Joseph saw that God was about to be glorified. Paul had some kind of affliction. We all have some kind of affliction, right? All of us. We all have some kind of affliction. And Paul had some kind of affliction. We don't know what it was. And he asked God, please, God, take this affliction away from me. Would you please just take this thorn in my flesh? Just take this affliction away. But God said back to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My paraphrase of that is, when something stinks in your life, say, yippee. That's what it says, right? I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. Hey, stupid. Woohoo! Yippee, I got insulted. That's, that's what he's saying here. What kind of sense does that make? Let me break it down. It makes sense. Christ's power is made perfect as we realize our need for God. All right, so God is powerful. But if I have a hard heart, if I have a pride-filled heart that is hardened towards God, is God going to use me? 
I will not be made strong in my weaknesses if my heart is proud. It's in my weaknesses that I realize I need God. Jesus, um, I think it's in James, Ephesians, I don't know, somewhere in the New Testament, the Bible says that uh, the Holy Spirit is placed into earthen vessels or clay pots. We are the clay pot. Clay pots crack. Jesus is the light inside a clay pot. When it cracks, then the light shines through. It's through our crack pots that God shines. When I realize that I'm weak, and only until I realize that I am weak, then I turn to Jesus and say, okay, God, I'm weak. You, you fill in the gaps. When I surrender to the Lord, then God is at his best. But I have to realize my need for the Savior before the Savior does much. I have to say, here, God. We aren't God's experiment. I started talking about this. We aren't God's experiment, and God is not up in heaven zapping us with affliction. That's not how it's working. We are subjects of the king. Jesus is our king, right? He's our friend. He's our father. But he's also our king. And the king gets glory when his people depend on him. And that's what affliction and pain is often about, helping us realize how much we depend on God. It's always a good thing, not a curse. It's a good thing to be in cahoots with the king and to, to be depending on him. I want to share an illustration. Becky and her husband were devastated when they learned that their daughter had been murdered, but they still found a way to give God the glory. Watch this. Our 17-year-old daughter and her friend were abducted from a, a local video store. We had no idea what was going on until 3.45 the next morning when the police showed up at our door. When we pulled up to the emergency entrance, there were multiple uh, law enforcement agencies represented. As they began to talk, my husband stopped them. And he said, I already know my daughter's dead. And at that point in time, I fell against my husband just sobbing. And we were only at the hospital about an hour. It seems like a lifetime in so many ways. And within just a few hours, there were probably close to 100 people at our home. As they, they came, we would tell them and, and we would all cry together. So many tears, no matter what way we turned, we would cry. There was just so many things going on, so full of, of grief, of sorrow. God spoke to me most in the shower because that's where I, I kind of let everything go. I was, I was by myself and the, the tears mingled with the water, you know, I don't mean it to sound dramatic, but it's true. And I can remember I was washing my hair and I was just sobbing. I'm like, God, where were you? Where were you? You could have stopped this. God, you just don't understand. You don't know how it feels to lose a child. And God stopped me short and he said, uh, yeah, I do. And I can remember standing there just sobbing when the reality hit me that if it wasn't for him losing his son, I would have no hope. I would have nothing to lean on. I had a very difficult time reading 
I couldn't concentrate. I struggled with that, but I could sing. I could listen to worship music, and that the words that were spoken in those songs bolstered me and gave me the strength to take the next step that I needed to take. And at that point in time, it put such hope and peace into my heart. We prayed for God to use this story however he could in any way that he could that would bring glory to his name. He honored every prayer, not necessarily in the way that, that we would have wanted it to be answered, but we knew that God had a far greater purpose. We began sharing our story in, in churches. Here, out in Amish country, we had a, a, an Amish bishop call our home and invite us to his home because he wanted to talk to us. It was such a, a tragic thing in our area, but because we allowed God to use it, because we gave God the glory and uh, we offered forgiveness to the man that murdered her, it spoke volumes to people here. There were so many times when I just wanted to give up. Even though we didn't get our daughter back, we didn't get so many things. We would rather have had Liz, rather our family not have to go through this. But God knew that through this, there were going to be so many lives changed. You may be thinking, God, why are you punishing me? Why are you inflicting me with this curse, God? Why, why are you doing this to me, Lord? Anyone ever felt like that? Why, God, why did you allow me to lose my job? Why did you allow my wife to leave me? Why did you allow that deal to fall through? Why did you allow my friend to start those rumors and lie about me? You may be wondering, why is there this curse in my life? Church, God's glory in the midst of our hardship is for us to realize how much we need God. Amen. And that's a blessing. Amen. That's not a curse. That, that's a blessing, realizing our need for God. So no matter how stinky life gets, we know that Jesus has a plan. Let's go on with our story in verses 4 and 5. John chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's number three. Jesus is the light. Jesus knew that he had a limited time. It was in this three-year period where he had his ministry that Jesus established his disciples. And he had three years to pass on everything so that we exist today. And, and we, like we exist as God's people today. And so in this little short period of time, Jesus had this opportunity to get stuff done. So what he's saying here. Uh, is, we don't have much time, we got to do this. It was on the Sabbath, you know, you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath, but Jesus did anyway, because I don't have much time, I got to do this. I'm going to get the mud in the guy's eyes, we're going to take care of this right now. Church, we have a window of time to turn to the Lord, a short window of time. The Bible, the Bible says that 
our life is but a vapor. Imagine me holding a, a spray bottle. Our life is but gone. In the, in the scope of eternity, that's us. It seems like a lifetime to us, because it is. It's our lifetime. But it's just a vapor in the big scope of things. And in that moment of our lifetime, it determines everything. We have this moment on lifetime to put our faith in Jesus. That will determine where we spend eternity, heaven or hell. And we have this moment of our lifetime to do good things that will determine how that eternity is spent. So your faith in Jesus determines where, heaven or hell, but your deeds determine how. So I have faith in Jesus, I'm going to go to heaven, period. And I'm judged according to my deeds, according to this passage and several others, but 2 Corinthians, I think. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So my faith in Christ determines where I spend eternity, but my deeds determine how that is spent. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So that means some people are getting treasures, probably more than others. I don't know what that's going to be, but, but there's rewards in heaven. And we have this window of time to invest in our future. The good or bad decisions that we made 10, 20, 30 years ago, maybe some of you are older, you remember decisions you made 40 or 50 years ago. We make these decisions in a moment, but it's affected the rest of our life. Maybe you made a decision that affected your children, your spouse, your address, your career. Those things are made in, in, in moments, but it affects the scope. It affects for years after. In the same way, we have this lifetime. We have our whole lifetime to invest into God's kingdom, into our whole eternity. There's only so much time for those in darkness for those that are born blind, for those to have a dark spot in their life, there's only so much time to turn to Jesus. So church, let's take advantage of our life. Carpe diem, they say. Seize the day. Seize your life. Because your life is nothing but a vapor in the scope of eternity. So seize every minute of it. Amen. Preach it, Pastor Adam. Thank you. All right, let's continue on our story in verses 6 and 7. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground. Everybody say, ew. After saying this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Did you notice the man didn't receive his miracle until he obeyed Jesus? That's number four. Jesus wants obedience. Jesus wants obedience. This story is a picture. This is a sign of salvation. 
there's a story of Jesus healing a blind man. That happened. But there's more to the story. It's showing us how our salvation today works. Not just salvation in the big sense, but salvation in the little sense too. Our continual uh, submission under the Holy Spirit. This is how it works. Jesus put the mud on the man's eyes. Right? So he's blind. And Jesus goes, whoops. He's still blind. Jesus did his part, but Jesus didn't fix it. He just exacerbated the problem initially. This helped the man realize his need for obedience, right? He can't fix this. Jesus did his part. Still blind, Jesus. And Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The inspired word of God took the time to say, Siloam, by the way, that means sent. So Jesus said, you're in darkness, now go wash in the pool of scent. Who was the sent one? Christ, Jesus. Jesus was the sent one. So go wash in the pool, you're in darkness, now go wash in the pool of scent. Go wash in Jesus. And in the obedience, the miracle is received. That's how it works. That's how victory works. That's how the miracle works. That's how salvation works. Jesus does his part. We do our part. Jesus died for everybody. Everyone can be saved, but it's not automatic. It's a free gift. But we have to do our part. Receiving it, right? Jesus does his part. I do my part. And then the miracle comes. So often... <clears throat> We say to God, God, give me the victory. Anyone have ever prayed that? Lord, Lord, I need victory in this area. I need that job. Give me the victory. Give me the sign, Lord. Show me that this is really what you want me to do. Give me the miracle, God. It comes in a lot of forms, but we pray that a lot. And, and God, once you do that, then I'll start giving. Once you do that, oh, God, then I'm going to obey. But Jesus flips it around. He says, I want you to obey, and then you'll get your miracle. Then you'll get your sign. Then you'll get your victory. Obey first. That's the order that things happen. The victory and, and, the, and the miracle happens after obeying. Well, Pastor Adam, that's a pretty bold statement. You better have something in the Bible to back that up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Moses had to speak to a rock before water came out. God could have just made the water come. But Moses had to obey. And that took some guts to talk to a rock and not be scared. People would think you're crazy. But Moses did it. Naaman had to dip in the water seven times before he was healed of leprosy. God could have just healed him. But he, Naaman had to obey. In the obedience, he had the healing. Ananias had to pray for a Christian killer named Saul before Saul became Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever known. Fishermen, professional fishermen who know how to catch fish had to do the just dumb thing that Jesus said. Just put your nets on the other side. They had to obey something that didn't make any sense before they saw their miracle. And so many fish that about sunk the boat. Peter walked on water because Jesus said, Peter, come to me. He had to obey. He had to get out of the boat. And, and it turns out the water was harder than he realized. If you want your victory, if you want your salvation, if you want your sign, 
from the, you want your miracle, obey. Do that first. And it's not always a moment, like these examples, like go, go, go swimming seven times. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you got to obey for a period of, li- period of your life. But the victory comes as you obey. God does his part. We do our part. And in that, God does a miracle. See, Christianity and faith is a decision and a walk. It's a decision and a walk. If you've ever had bondage in your life, let's, let's take, um, let's, let's take uh, addiction to cigarettes, for example. If you've ever been addicted to cigarettes and then gotten unaddicted to cigarettes, you know that there was a decision. I'm not going to do that anymore. That was a decision. That was the easy part. And then there was tomorrow. Christianity is a decision. And then there's tomorrow. I received Jesus. I am saved. And then there's tomorrow. And I'm being saved. I'm continually pursuing what God wants. You may be here with a dark spot in your life. I bet if we're honest and we think for a little bit, we've all got them because none have sinned. We are all affected by a sinful world, a sinful nature. So we have dark spots. Maybe yours is an addiction to sex or an addiction to drugs. Maybe you hesitate to take your next step because of unholy fear that doesn't honor God. Or maybe you hesitate to accept responsibility for a problem because of pride. That's a dark spot. Perhaps you're stuck in a world of, did you hear what she said, gossip? Or you've been working so much you hardly know your kids anymore. Or you've been depressed so long you don't even know why you're depressed anymore. You're just stuck there. Or the darkest spot of all, maybe you just don't know Jesus. That's the ultimate dark spot. You don't know Jesus. You've never really met him. In that dark spot, God is at his best. There are certain football quarterbacks that you put in at the very last minute. Tim Tebow was one of them. There's there's football quarterbacks that, that do an okay job, but then at the last minute, they know how to score a touchdown. They know how to make the last drive. Jesus is a great quarterback. In our weakness, in our dark spot, he's ready. He's ready. All it takes first is our realizing the need for a savior. Yes, I'm blind. I have a blind spot. I have a dark spot. I'm in darkness. And Jesus said, go wash. We have to obey. And when we realize our need, we realize just how blind we are in something, and we go wash in the savior, the miracle will come. Jesus is ready. That's when he's at his best, is in our pain, and our suffering, and our problem, and our situation that stinks. When we realize and confess our dark spot, our blindness to the Lord, and when we obey him, God is glorified, and the light of Jesus can shine. Jesus did his part, but we have to apply it and do our part. Would you stand with me?
Let's think of that dark spot. Lord, we, we know that we're blind. We know that there's some darkness. We're still on this earth. We're still in a sinful world. And, and so the, our old man's going to keep popping up. Lord, I pray for more of your spirit, more of you. Lord, we receive what you've done. We receive your sacrifice on the cross, Lord. We want to obey. We want to do what you want, God. I pray that your, your people would be filled with more of you as, uh, as we obey and see the victory. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to have some prayer partners here at the front after church. If you've been blinded from your birth, I mean, like you haven't met Jesus before, like, dude, today, today's it. If you have some other blindness that, that you, want, you want to be set free from, t- today's, today could be it. These prayer partners are going to be here ready to pray for you. Just say, hey, I got, still got some mud on my eyes. Help me wash this off, and, and they'll, they'll pray for you. Uh, if you are... Um, newer and you haven't had a chance to meet Pastor Deal yet, don't forget he's going to be down in the room just down there on the hall to the left. Go with God. You're dismissed.